This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny Cage, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. Carter coming at you from Power Athlete HQ. The reason for this extended episode is none other than wealth of knowledge, Mr. Dave Tate. Dave is a former competitive powerlifter and, of course, the founder and CEO of Elite FTS. John, Bobby, and Dave caught up at the recent Elite FTS Summit in Ohio several weeks back. Hear them recap their thoughts about some of the speakers, content, and general experience from that weekend. Next, Dave makes no bones about not really being a coach. A true example of putting ego aside, he notes that his strength lies in nerding out about training philosophy and its transference to how we operate in our daily lives. Dave explains how he continues to be baffled by a competitive lifter's ability to go all in in the weight room, but lack the discipline to succeed outside of it. This has been the driving force for several books, hundreds of articles, and a very busy public speaking schedule. Towards the end of part one with Mr. Tate, we talk about training setbacks and several tips he recommends to overcome them. The words move the dirt definitely have come to mind here. And finally, we hear those sage words of wisdom intended for anyone still holding on to their athlete glory days. If you're wondering why Power Athlete Radio hasn't migrated to a video podcast, it's because of this. One of your Power Athlete Radio hosts regularly records from his sanctuary, a.k.a. his office, a.k.a. the head. To find out who... You'll have to stay tuned. Episode 99 is streaming straight at your face in three, two, one. All right, Power Athlete Nation, what is happening? This is Denny welcoming you to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. Today I'm joined with John, Callie, and Bobby. How's it going, guys? It's going great. It's going great. Oh, working on a. Well, that's a little bit of uh, behind the scenes talk we were going with. And then we have special guest uh, Dave Tate from Elite FTS, the founder and CEO. How you doing, sir? Good. Never done a podcast with somebody sitting on the john. <laughs> hey, there's no first time for everything. I'm always amazed that he's, uh, he's able to keep the reverberation down. Here's the thing, D- Dave, not that you know of. You've never done a podcast with someone on the toilet that you know of. <laughs> good, good point. Good point. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, isn't that where you get your best thinking in? That's where we tell It is. And if you have kids, it's your only sanctuary. I mean, you can't get away from anything unless you're sitting in the toilet with the door closed and you have your your me time. Well, here's the thing. I know you're not full of shit now. <laughs> oh, he's punny. Oh, he's got oh, some Good. Boy, I just flew in, and boy, are my arms tired. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! So let's uh, let's go with the Elite FTS Summit that happened the other weekend. Um, what John and Bobby and Tex are out there? Uh, what was the experience like? And and Dave, do you think that 
it went well and you and you guys got your point across that you're trying to drive home? I'll let them comment first. Oh yeah, no, uh, yeah. So uh, the the Elite FTS Summit was a collection of you know some of the prominent strength coaches in the community, and um, you know Dave was able to organize and get a bunch of you know two NFL guys, uh, Mike Robertson, who's another guy uh, that does you know uh, works with athletes and PT, and then also uh, Joe DeFranco of uh, you know. You know, Westside for Skinny Bastards, and those of you guys who are in the strength training community obviously know Joe DeFranco. Is. So he brought all these guys in and allowed them to kind of cover what they wanted to cover about their training systems. Is and, that the formal some... subtitle? What? It is. Uh, West, you know Westside for guys? Skinny Bastards? Uh, you know what? I've never met DeFranco, just like I've been on some email exchanges with him. I, I, I wanted to go over and say hello to him, but he had a. Yeah. Uh, he was literally, it was like seven fucking people deep of like these little DeFrancoites that were like, hey, Joe, hey, Joe. And I wasn't going to walk over and be like, hey, how are you? Like, um, so no, I, I didn't get a chance to meet him. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know Buddy Morris, but uh, he trained a bunch of guys I know. So um, I, I actually really enjoyed uh, his talk. I thought his talk uh, hit it out the park. Um, I, I really wish that there had been kind of a, a better form to ask some questions. I mean, it's kind of weird. Like all of a sudden, the guy speaks for two and a half hours, and then they're like, "Okay, hey, any questions? Okay, great." And I, I, I actually had a, a bunch of questions for him, but I didn't get to ask. So, um, I think, uh, you know, that was definitely a ton of information. I mean, to have him speak uh, and DeFranco, uh, who was another real interesting talk in that he basically was uh, teaching a majority of his sprint, sprint mechanics through uh, having pushy, uh, heavy, pushing heavy sleds and dragging heavy sleds and went through a lot of just uh, purely observational, uh, you know, hey, this is what my guys did. My guy ran this fast. We did this, and he ran this fast, and this is what their performance are. I mean, I'm, I'm always a big fan of, like, hey, you know, here's the, here's the reason why and the, the science behind it, but at the end of the day, you can't argue with results, and so... Um, you know, and he actually made one of the best comments I've heard where he's like, you know what, I'm not a sprint coach, and I don't really know how to teach sprint mechanics. I just know that when my guys push a heavy sled, they run faster. And I, it's it's always rare to hear somebody who's like, hey, I'm... Admittedly. Yeah, ad admittedly, instead of being like, oh, well, you know what, we're looking up for a, t you know, uh, toe like, up, knee up, you know, we're going to need the shin angle here. And like, we all. tested this, and this is what we found works. <laughs> yeah. And the guy has results, so I thought that was very... Uh, uh, very, very enlightening. Um, the, yeah, but the Buddy Morris one was super interesting just because he's taken uh, a Westside Barbell Dynamic Max Effort template and mixed it with the Charlie Francis Speed stuff, which is, you know, kind of that school that, we, that we're that we into where it's either you're either running fast or you're doing recovery runs and you don't really train in that no-man zone, which is uh, kind of fascinating because majority of strength training is really done kind of in that no-man zone, so... I'm sure Dave can elaborate more on that, but uh, Bobby, what were uh, what were some of your takeaways? Um, I would say that, uh, like John, I thought Buddy Morris's talk. You know, we opened up with Buddy, and Buddy really knocked it out of the park. And in fact, I was the guy before we got on the air when John was saying, uh, as Buddy was talking, you know, the internet is the worst thing that happened to strength training. I was the guy who was elbowing him, saying, like, this sounds like you up there, because uh, the day before. John was on uh, the podcast with Mark Watts, and uh, he said the same exact thing. So it was pretty funny. I thought Buddy was uh, was excellent. Um, Chip Morton had a real unorthodox talk about how to connect with your athletes, and uh, at first I didn't really get it, but uh, by the time the talk closed out, uh, I thought it was really good. Um, really solid presenters. Definitely wish there was more of a chance to uh, pick their brains a little bit, but uh, it was it was a great time. Ton of 
ton of information. Like um, having all those speakers for that volume of time uh, with one day and like not enough, you know, follow up kind of deal would be my only. But I mean, dude, it was kind of a, you know, one day and one day out kind of deal. I mean, that probably should have been a, a two day event if they had had breakups. So, I mean, that was really my only criticism would be that it just wasn't long enough to really be able to, you know, just selfishly me interact with the, with the individuals and kind Dave, of ask did, them about their questions. Dave, did you, per, did you purposely not allow people to ask questions because you knew that John was minorly long-winded? Um, no, actually, this is, uh, I didn't know that, but it's good to know now. Um, it, it, I'm very long-winded, so we'd get along real well. Uh, this is a, uh, over the period of 17 years, 18, 20 years, or whatever I've been doing seminars, this is the first time we've done a seminar in this type of format. So we really didn't know what to expect. We didn't know what to expect from the attendance standpoint. Um, so I, I, for me to, to answer the question, i got to answer it in two different dynamics. One being the actual person sitting and listening, you know, the... the the what do you want to call the the wannabe strength coach that ended up running an e-commerce business and ex-personal trainer from that standpoint you know looking at the presenters you know I've heard Buddy speak many many times he's always fantastic with the information that he brings Joe Ken did a, a really good job of bringing out his tier system um, but to really get a grasp of that you need to you need to dig in and read more in regards to what his tier system is just to reinforce what he went over um, Joe did a really good job, I thought, because I've heard him speak before in regards to shin angle and how he uses the prowler and some sleds in regards to the 10-yard sprint. I think that he did probably the best I've ever seen him speak in regards to that aspect. Um, I, for me personally, I wish he would have spoke a little bit more on some of the other tools that he used to, to increase the 10-yard sprint instead of just focusing on the one or two that he really put the focus on. Um, Mike Robertson did a you know a really good job as well. Um, Chips, as I'll agree with the other statement, I'm sitting there at first wondering uh, where the hell is he going to go with this, and and then by the end he kind of circled it back around and it made sense. So from um, from an attendee standpoint, I really liked it. I, I agree with everybody else. You know, if I was to ask questions, I don't know if I really would have wanted the questions to be in the format of the seminar but more along the lines of having some more free time to where the guys are like, like uh, what are they called? For some of our past seminars, we'd have meet and greets. We'd have a couple of them. More of those to be able to allow that one-to-one -one with a lot of people because a lot of times people get up and they ask the question that may be the same question somebody else has, but the question isn't as in-depth as what you really want to go to where if you were all standing in a room and then John walked up to Buddy and asked a question and dialogue begins, 15 people that may be standing around are going to end up walking away with unbelievable material, which would never happen through a, a straight Q&A in a seminar. So we need to build that into the seminar. The other answer I have is going by the surveys that were sent out. Um, the surveys were very positive. Um, everybody ranked really high as far as where the speakers are. We use a pretty detailed survey, but it's a survey that is also the same survey that we've used for 10 years. So it becomes very, very easy to analyze things when you have other seminars and other pretty much the same question, the same ranking system 
for 10 years, you can determine, did this person get their point across? Did they not? Is this what the people were looking for? Is it not? Um, surveys came back pretty much the same thing. It needs to be a couple days. There needs to be more Q&A time. Uh, there needs to be a greater introduction of who the people actually are who are speaking. And instead of, you know, it's people, we, we have it in the packet, but, you know, you learn when you're in business over a period of time, people don't actually read the packet. <laughs> and you, you still need to introduce and say, hey, look, this guy's with the NFL, this guy's with the NFL, this guy. And so people know what their history is because it allows them to formulate better questions, you know, in regards to it. And it also allows them to put the information that they're being presented in proper context. You know, if you have one guy who spent 22 years in the NFL, his answer or what he's presenting is going to have a little bit different context than somebody who's worked in the private sector their entire life. So you need to be able to disseminate that. So I think it went, for the first one, I think it was extremely, it's by far the, the best first seminar that we've ever done. Yeah. From, from there, we just get better from there. Well, that, oh, I mean, that, yeah. that was yeah. kind of the interesting thing with Buddy Morris is, uh, and like that was something that I think that as a presenter, uh, you know, being able to preface him, having been a professional NFL strength coach, he's using a very, very detailed system for, you know, maybe 60 guys that he can work with individually and are the best athletes on the planet, opposed from, like, and I was, like, listening to guys, in the, in, you know, after talking about it, and I'm like, dude, uh, you work at a gym working with high school kids. You can't extrapolate what Buddy Morris is. Like, like you can look at it from, like, the macro, but when you start talking about trying to use these things, uh, you know, you got to try to, you know, disseminate and boil it down. But um, just from a, a selfish standpoint, uh, I think we had maybe close to 20 people there that had been to our seminar. And oh, really? Followers of some. That so, was my, so. my question, well, was wonder what the demographic was like. Like, if it was just a bunch <laughs> of dudes who just, who are just like, you know. A lot of shaved head beards. Just fucking into it, just want it, and, uh, you know, like, whether they're coaches or athletes themselves, yeah. I imagine it was probably a lot yeah, of athletes. No it, was, no, it was a lot of coaches. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah, everybody was involved in some strength uh, conditioning, whether they were a collegiate coach yeah. or doing something within the private sector, working in a training facility. I mean, there was a lot of people that we had actually worked with at our seminars that were like, oh, this is where I am, and it was it, it was a it was a very eclectic I imagine group. like a lot of people were kind of starstruck. So like, Dave, did you have to sign anybody's boob or anything like while you were there? Oh, of course. Yeah. 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 No, the usual. Yeah. As far as the demographic, I think forty percent of them were private facility or perform. They they were what they would consider strength coaches, performance strength coaches, whatever title they want to go by, in the private sector. That was about forty percent of the attendance. The, there was about another 15% that were made up between actual title position strength coaches, either high school, collegiate, or NFL, and then everybody outside of that. It, it gets very varied. I'm sure it's the same with your seminars. Mm -hmm. but now you're getting people that are there just for personal reasons, a couple bodybuilders. And, you know, it, it gets scattered a little bit after that. Um, but, yeah, I always... I always have my fans, but this is this is also a little bit different for me too, because it's the first seminar that I've never spoke at, so a little bit different dynamic. I didn't feel comfortable speaking in there, yeah. so it's just not my. I've never. I think I trained high school athletes. I got maybe two years of actually training sport athletes, mm -hmm. so I have no business standing on the stage. Now I can stand on the stage and teach people, you know, the conjugate method or what I think might work. 
but the way that we do the seminars is who really gives a shit about what somebody thinks might work when I can give you people that are actually doing it. Yeah. Yeah, there's 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 a big difference there. Now we have a meathead seminar, I'll be the first in line to jump up on the stage. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and say here's 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 what what I've done and how I've helped consult and so forth. But I think that's that's super commendable too that like you can make that delineate delineation within like yourself and your strengths because you know where your strengths lie, and you also know when you're kind of like, all right, like let me just fucking hand the reins off to someone else because they're going to be able to drive this in in a way that I can't. And I, I don't know. I don't think enough coaches and enough uh, people who are prominent. Everybody's an expert. Everybody knows everything. Right. Like people's egos become so much bigger than their actual capabilities that it's like it's it's it can be very deceiving to people who who are. Uh, who are uneducated because they'll just rely on, they'll hang on every word, you know? It, it, and so I think it, it does, it takes like that uh, that career maturity to know like, you know, okay, here's where I want to be and what I'm good at versus, you know, you know, like public speaking and seminars is fantastic, but like coaching is something else and it's just knowing where your strengths are. Yeah, I agree. And if, if that's not your strength, you need to surround, if, if you're going to be in that business, you need to surround yourself with people that that is their strength. I mean, that's kind of the whole object is you want to surround yourself with people who are better, you know, at that attribute than what you are, and then they're going to surround yourself with you because you're better at a certain attribute than what they are, and then you can help each other out and, you know, grow together. Hence, hence my man crush, Mark Watts, who is yeah. the, the, ultimate, the ultimate coach. Yeah. <laughs> Kelly, uh, the fact that Mark took a selfie of himself on her shirt was hysterical. I was like, Mark, what are you doing taking selfies? Like, I'm going to send this to Dave, and Dave's going to fucking punch you in the face. Hey, he's, he's current, man. He's with it. He's wearing our shirt, and I He's got a fucking it. selfie stick. He takes selfies all the time, man. He, he? He, takes, he takes selfies he doesn't even post. Let me tell you, the selfie game for Mark is the real deal. There were people coming up to Mark on the stage. Hey, can we get a selfie with you? And he was like, sure. Yeah, how can you face get, down. I don't understand that. How can you get a selfie with somebody else? <laughs> it no longer becomes a selfie, right? I think it's called a Wii E or something. A Wii partner Wii selfie. Yeah, it gets really weird. You know, really weird. <laughs> Menage on a selfie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, John, I mean, you guys also went out to Westside. Like, yeah, is that right. like a, a click date? <laughs> Let's kind of talk about that a little bit. Um, uh, well, yeah, we we got into town. And, uh, yeah, well, we we got into town. We we uh, took a trip out and visited Mark and uh, and got to go out and see Elite FTS's gym. And I finally got to meet John Meadows, who uh, we've been interacting for over a year, and he's been on the podcast. So I'd actually never met him in person. So uh, we went out there and he uh, got to meet him a little bit. And then uh, after that, we took John's recommendation and went to some fucking burger place that uh, uh, fucking about killed us um, uh, downtown. And then uh, I figured, you know, if we were in town, we, we should swing by and see Louie. I, I haven't seen him in a bunch of years, and I always feel like, uh, you know, as Louie gets up there in age at some point, he's not going to be around, so we swung up there and you know, said hello. <laughs> <laughs> Dave thinks that's funny. Well, you know what? He, he's you know he's fucking old. Like you can't squat nine hundred pounds for four for like forty plus years. Dude. Yeah, I know. I know. 
I, I mean, so, so like I always feel like if I come there, like if uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm like if I go out there, I gotta go out and at least you know say hello and pay homage. So yeah, we swung out there and uh, yeah, I, I walked in and literally Louis standing on a box and there was a you know a bunch of there must have been thirty or forty fucking people in this room in that little side. He's room. like Jesus Christ, well, like was. Moses with like he, he was up there like holding court. Yeah, and uh, I like sat there in the back and then he saw me and like fucking jumped down and the came commandments over. Commandments of like, speed and strength. Oh, yeah. He did not jump. Down, all <laughs> down. He uh, death jumped. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, it, yeah. It, it was pretty good. He landed in a good athletic position. Uh, he, uh... <laughs> Did he really? <laughs> no, no, he didn't. No, no, he I, didn't. No, no, I'm, I was gonna be really impressed. He's, uh, he's, he's fucking beat up, man. Oh, he's, I know, I know. Yeah, he's, he's beat up. Uh, you know, he's having, you know, some neck and some shoulder problems. And it's, it's killing, killing his training a little bit. So we, uh. We just rapped about some stuff, and uh, it was pretty funny. He had a, a track girl in there who was doing a bunch of uh, like med ball work and, and this, and he was like somebody was asking about it, and it was actually a bunch of the med the, the Charlie Francis uh, GPP med ball stuff. And so I asked Louie, I'm like, oh, I didn't know you were doing that, and he like gave me a grin, and he's like, you know, just kind of like ah, you, you know, you got to get it from everywhere. So it was pretty good. But uh, uh, and then of course, you know, in typical Louie fashion, he um. Starts loading shit up to try to like fuck with people. Like, hey, uh, let's try this bamboo bar. And so he like fucking throws on a bunch of kettlebells. And of course, having never, if you've never done the bamboo bar, you should definitely not walk into Louis' gym and just all of a sudden let him load shit up on you. So of course, these guys almost fucking kill themselves. And uh, I mean, we, we've had one for years. So my favorite thing to do is pretend like I don't know how to use it and then just pick it up and do it for like 40 reps and then put it away. But like, what was that hard? <laughs> And then people are like, oh, it's so easy. And then they lay down, the thing starts fucking moving back and forth, and then they catch it under the chin and almost kill themselves. So, <laughs> you know, we uh, we actually worked up to a 1RM one day on that thing. You guys are, I can't say, like, it's not PC, but you guys are retarded. Honestly. Yeah, no, we're fucking morons. <laughs> but, I mean, like like Dave was saying, like, earlier, they'd have audio, they're like, let's fucking kill some You guys are, yeah. seriously, like, that's the most idiotic yeah. thing. <laughs> and, and, and the best is, uh, before we got on, Dave, uh, they had some bodybuilders in, and he and John Meadows were trying to put the hurt on these like guys. That's, like, warming up but to your as, 1RM, as, like, as, step up. As I'm listening to it, I, the only thing is I was sad at that I wasn't there, because I was like, oh, I totally would have been in on that. I'd be like, okay, what can we do next? Okay, I'm totally going to puke on this one. Oh, you know? my God. So that's the good stuff, you know. Like if, if you can't fucking like, and, and it's that total schoolyard mentality. Of like, hey, let's let's fuck with the new guy. So yeah, I mean, if you can't have fun, you know, what's the point of doing it? Yeah. <laughs> it's like you know, there, there's real no difference between boys when they're you know obviously four years old and you know 44 years old. It's just Blast. just a little grayer hair and <laughs> a little nicer a car, you know. Instead of having your uh, fucking push car, you got actually something that goes faster. So there's no difference. So, but yeah, it was great. It was, it was cool. Uh, we hit another burger place that John is actually a, a, a pretty good recommendation on food places. That's what. Uh, that's why I said I'm like, dude, John Meadows, uh, like great for training, nutrition, and recommendation food places to eat in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> yeah, Columbus, so, Ohio is like Burger Town, USA. We had some really good burgers while we were out there. Yeah, for a guy, that, for a guy that eats clean all the time, he sure knows where to send people for burgers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he. Uh, I, I got a feeling he's got a cheat meal in him somewhere. Is when he, he does, like, he fucking oh yeah, my big. friend really loves this burger place. I mean, no, he raves. He's, he, he's got twin boys, dude. Like, I, I guarantee you, if he's gonna go cheat, he's gonna go in a big way. Oh yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, yeah. It was Bobby. What, what was the name of that place we went? The Townsend. Uh, Flipside. It was called yeah, Flipside. Uh, Flipside, Flipside Burger. Those burgers. We yeah, we went to Flipside, and then we went to a place that was kind of like downtown, little kind of like bar. I thought it was like Townsend Thurman. Street or Thurman. Yeah, Thurman. That's it. 
Yeah, those burgers are too damn big. You, you got to eat them. You got to eat a burger with a fork. What? Dude, I have that's, never that's, heard. Yeah, Dave, that's actually not a thing. Too big? <laughs> no, it is, man. If you got to eat it with a fork and a knife, it's not a burger anymore. Well, I guess maybe <laughs> you might have a point there. I like no, eating. Like, it's like six inches tall. Yeah. Can't it's even grab it. It's a big fucking burger. <laughs> you got to. Yeah, you got to mix it all up and chop it up and eat it like you would typically cook a meal for yourself. I think I can handle a six-inch burger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kelly's like six yeah. inches? Ah! Close to you. Baby games. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's segue from that uh, to Denny. What's what's uh, what's next? What do you want to chit-chat? Under the bar? Uh, hold on. Denny's flushing the toilet Denny's... right now. <laughs> <laughs> so Den, uh, Dave, Den, Denny was super excited when we got you on because uh, not only has he read your book, but uh, like you know your recommendations for other the, books. Yeah, one of the few books I've read. What's that? <laughs> one of the many few books I've read. Is that the many, few. <laughs> many few? Many few. Many few. One of the few books that you've read all the way through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, here's here's the thing though is uh, he he can't what, read. So yeah, I can't read. <laughs> um, no, but it, it was refreshing to read a book about like what like the virtues that you could learn under the bar. You know, you named off 12 of them. Um and to be able to like transfer that into like life and talk about how how it can help with relationships with businesses. Um that was awesome because that's something that I say to like some of the athletes I work with um and just talking about like discipline, you know, uh, years of lifting weights, how that can create confidence within yourself. And it's like once you kind of build that confidence and discipline, when you're challenged with like these other aspects in life, you feel a little bit more prepared compared to those people who don't, who never take any kind of risk, you know, who play life like safe and just kind of stay in their comfort zone. Like they don't, they don't know what any of that means. You know, lessons learned under the bar or constantly challenging yourself. And when I realized that that's where your book was going, I instantly connected with it. And that's why I finished it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, I mean, the, the first reason I wrote the book was so my kids would have something to kind of know where, I, where I'm coming from and where I stand and what my values are. And, what the values of the company are. So that was the main reason why I put it out and sat down to begin writing it in the first place. The second reason is being a competitive powerlifter for pretty much all my life, I could never understand how somebody could have the mindset and the skills and the discipline and the consistency and the work ethic to be able to train and break a world record in the squat, bench press, deadlift, or total, and then just absolutely suck at their job. I just never understood that. You know, and then bitch about how bad they hate the job. And, and I'm not saying they need to go start their own job, but if, you know, if, for the most part, most people don't have their own businesses. But, you know, they go to the gym, they bust their ass, they break PRs, they, they have everything they need to be able to move up and where, wherever they do work or whatever they do. It's just they're not realizing that those same skills that they're using in the gym can be the same skills that can make, their more, make them more valuable at where they work 
or to make them better at, the own, at their own business if they own their own business, they don't see the correlation. And the, the goal there was to try to show that this correlation is there. You can't tell me that you don't have a strong work ethic you know, at, at your job when you do in the gym. You just need to fucking apply yourself with the same effort that you do in the gym. And if you start to get a little bit, you know, burned out, well, then you back down a little bit the same way that you would in the gym. You know, it's you, all right there. Do you think, like, passion comes into play with that? Or do you think confidence or just just pure laziness or you don't care? Um, passion is definitely a part of it because with, with any sport, you know, the time runs out, you know, and, you know, there's a lot of generalizations that are being made as well to where, you know, in the book I'm making the assumption that somebody, you know, has been a strength athlete for most of their life. Most strength athletes, powerlifters, bodybuilders, or whatever, at best they're going to be in the sport for three to five years. At best. That's if they're good. I would say the average are in it for less than a year. You know, once they find out that making gains is actually kind of hard, because when you start training, you make gains left and right, then it slows down. Most people, when they hit that first roadblock, they're done. You know, they go on to something else. Or life comes into play. They get a job. They get married. They have a kid. I mean, there's, there's so many things that will derail somebody's training. Um, I mean, that may be a bad word, you know, to say derailed because priorities change. But the book was written with the people who... I'm, I've been around my whole life, and those those are people I call lifers. I mean, we're going to be, you know, Buddy Morris, when he was at the seminar, he couldn't even close his fucking hand because the arthritis is so bad. So he's still going to find a way to get to grab a barbell, even if he has to duct tape the shit on there. You know, so he's going to be doing it forever. Um, it may be hard for some other people to understand because training's not their passion, so they're not going to be able to see that transference that would happen. But there is something. It could be music for them. It could be everybody's got something that they're really passionate about, that all the skill sets that they do with that are the same skill sets that they would need to be successful you know, in, in anything that they do. Hell, if they just applied half the effort that they apply you know, to what they're really passionate about to the other aspects of their life, they'd be surprised at how much better their relationships would be, how much better they would be at the job that they do, how much better they would be with the friends that they have, and so forth. Yeah, I think this is uh, this is one of the topics that really interests me. Um, and I think uh, you know I have so many questions for you on this particular because you have a lot more experience. But I I, I sort of wonder if ultimately um, you know especially someone like yourself finds that you you use strength training as a as a means to sort of uh, enrich the other parts of your life. And it's you have a passion for strength training, sure. But it's it's how it's it's how it's affected all the other facets that you continue to do it. Because for instance, I mean, um, you know, there are a lot of people who do strength training who aren't you know aren't doing it. For instance, to like break world records or maybe not even set PRs. And some well, of them. Well, is that really strength training? Because uh, well, we training. Well, well like, I'll just say yeah, training. like I mean, just, just because you go to the gym doesn't necessarily mean you're training. Just no, I'm, you but you know what I'm talking about. Mean you're fucking strength training. I'm talking about people and, who are training. Not people who are exercising. Well, training means that you have a goal. So if your yeah. goal is to get stronger, you're training for that goal. So just fucking exercise, which uh, we, we kind of have, and Dave, you'll, you'll appreciate this. We, we have a, a gym that I built here at our office, but uh, we wanted to do some more classic bodybuilding stuff. So we did some, like, you know, kind of like a similar to 
what a you know, John Meadows does, and so Luke and Callie had never done any of this stuff, and so I was like, fuck it, let's go to a, uh, a commercial gym, and so there's a gym up the street that was called Metrics, that was a pretty famous bodybuilder gym, it was in all the magazines back in the 80s, and, you know, just typical bodybuilder gym, like, you know, fucking, if you joined 10 years ago, you're still paying two bucks, <laughs> even though it goes up, and so, you know, there's a bunch of pros that work Which is out outrageous, there, and, yeah, yeah, Saturdays were great, the 70s. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, but they, they would have, like, Equipment from the 70s, they'd have like 12 like dip machine. I mean, it was just packed with shit. Right. Like, it was the fuck. It was it was awesome. Like that was the place where I got the uh, original safety squad bar. It looked like a flea market. So uh, we were there uh, and joined, and then a week later, a week. they sold the gym and turned it into this uh, this other gym. That's um, like how the fuck could I even describe it? Like um, it's like um. Like a boot camp, like so, they basically took the gym, they divided it in half, brought in all this like Nautilus selectorized bullshit, and then they converted the other half into like half is a Globo, half is a group group led uh, or instructor led like group like, training thing. Yeah, like like a less involved, less complex boot camp, boot camp training. Fucking just, it reminds me of uh, those Harlem Shake videos. Yeah. Like for sixty minutes, and yeah. the problem is, is that uh, everybody that trains there just looks worse. So, but the best part is they have this big glass wall, and so we're in there, and like we're like fuck it, we'll stay there and we will do some stuff. But uh, having not trained at a commercial gym in many many years, and then um, you know having our own place and just not having been in it, I forgot about uh, one how fucking people one have no idea what they're doing, and they're paying somebody else to train them, and that has no fucking idea what they're doing. And there's no real goal other than to look better uh, naked, and none of them are meeting it, so they're doing the fucking Harlem Shake for first. See, John, years. John, he's very frustrated by this, but I sort of, I just say, let go and let God, because I don't care what they're doing. I know those people exist. I want to fucking set the place on fire. I know, but here, here's the thing, like. I just, you know, I get where this is going. Like, those people are just exercising. They have an arbitrary goal, and so they do arbitrary things to get to the arbitrary goal. Um, but ultimately, like, those people still walk out. I don't care who you are. They still walk out, like, a little bit taller and a little more confident just based on pure post-workout effect, you know? And, like, imagine if they were actually, like, achieving their goals, you know, versus just, like, arbitrarily getting after it. But, you know, and, and so, I, I mean, just to sort of bring it all together... Um, you know, I guess one of my questions to you, Dave, would be what would you recommend to somebody who, for instance, was, like, pretty serious about their training or, um, you know, had goals and then had a, a big setback? Like you said, whether it's priorities changing or they suffered a pretty debilitating injury and then suddenly this thing where they tapped all of their energy from training into, you know, like that's how they sort of coped with the stress of real life or that's where they got their confidence from. And then suddenly they just feel shattered. Like, I mean, have you dealt with situations like that? And what advice would you give to those people? Yeah, uh, I'm, I've always said that, you know, the statement that I use is through adversity comes prosperity and without prosperity is mediocrity. So, you know, adversity is part of life. You know, so when, when adversity comes, you need to learn to embrace it. You can't run and hide from it because I've yet to learn to meet anybody who's been able to give me a definitive and good answer on what they've learned from something successful that they've done. But I've met tons of people that can tell me what they've learned from every mistake they've made. So without making mistakes, you're not going to move forward. Yeah. So I, I'm, not, I'm not saying to go out and get fucking injured. 
Um, I mean, you have to use the best knowledge that you have to try to avoid those type of risk, which are, I would consider, unnecessary risk. Mm -hmm. um, would you put uh, having kids mixed in there? Because uh, uh, kids actually derailed my training worse than any injury ever has. Yeah, and there, there, there's always going to be a balance that you're going to struggle with. And the, the issue with... There, there's a lot of things that are flying through my mind right now. But the first one is, well, at what level is this person competing at? You know, are they a competitive player? Are they a competitive lifter? Uh, is competing in the grand scheme of things and them trying to become the best of the best? Because if they are and they do have kids, I'm going to guarantee those kids are not going to have, you know, quantity time. And more than likely, it's probably going to be pretty limited on what the quality time is going to be. Mm -hmm. And that's that's yeah. a conscious decision that they're making. And, you know, you can't really hold it against anybody. It, it, it is what it is, and that's part of the reason why they are the best at what they do is because they're willing to sacrifice everything in their life to get there. Um, right or wrong, I think with age, you know, we all, you know, have some regrets which fall back into those type of things. Now, if they're not competitive, then there's no reason in hell that your family should be second to your training. Right. You know, you can push a training day back one or you can skip a workout for Christ's sake. Right. You know, if it's Easter, your kid's birthday, you know, you can move the workout and not really screw up your whole training program. Yeah. Um, now, if you're, if you're a competitive lifter, your mindset's so focused on, you know, what I call blast and dust, and that it's that that's not you won't even comprehend that. That shit doesn't even exist. You know, I have to do this, I have to do that, um, and that's part of what it is. So that's the first dynamic is you know where on the spectrum does the person fall? Because typically, if I'm helping somebody with their training, they're on the higher end of the spectrum. So the answer I'm going to give is going to be much different than the mm -hmm. answer I'm going to give to somebody who's on the lower end. On the lower end, you know, the injuries, the adversity, all that other kind of stuff. The key thing with that is you can't let it derail you for very long. You have to, even if it's just getting in, you have two choices. You can either try to get in just once a week and hit a really big body part or hit a total body or a total body training session. So either train legs, train back, or do a total body training session just once a week. There's one option. The other option is just hit the gym once a day and do one exercise, which might take you five minutes. This is more applicable if you own the place or if it's in the place that you work. Just do one movement and leave. Mm -hmm. You know, both of those are enough to be able to maintain you at 85 to 90 percent of your current strength level for whatever period of time it is. Mm -hmm. The worst thing you can do is to take off a month, two months, because if you're older and you are a little beat up, you can get by with taking a week off. But that second week, that shit is going to start to hurt bad. Then the third week, it's going to hurt even worse, and it doesn't get mm -hmm. any better. You know, because the, the the training that you're doing is actually helping control a lot of the inflammation, control the arthritis, and control the other damage that's been created. So I'm not sure if that really answers. Yeah, yeah that's totally. true. I mean, I've taken a month off before, like one time in my life, and it took me a long time to get back to get my strength levels back. It is. It, if you take off completely, it's it's a freaking disaster. Um, and it's, I've had situations with work and so forth where I was just not able to to train the way that I wanted to train. But if I can get in there 
for me, what seems to work better than anything else is if I can get in there and train back once a week, I'm fine. And I was reading recently in a super training, I think it was, that um, the biggest the biggest percentage of atrophy occurs in the first two weeks off of training, and then it sort of diminishes beyond that. Um, but in terms of like the hardest hit is like the first two weeks off, and then you sort of like and then it sort of tapers tapers off. But I found that interesting because you hear so many people say it's so hard to come back after like two weeks of vacation. The problem is, is that you're dealing with uh, kind of all or nothing people. I mean, that's uh, actually the people that I, I was, like in life. It's like so, you're inside my head. Yeah. John. So, so there's a uh, you know we have a common theme around here, and I'm sure Dave, you would associate with this, and probably hire based on that company. Go like, balls deep. Like yeah, we 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 want people that are in or out. Like I don't need like a like a you know like let me put my toe in the pool to see to check the temperature. Like jump the fuck in. And so I think when you take people with that mentality, it's either all or nothing. I'm either fucking grinding. Uh, on a program five, six days a week, like, you know, blood, sweat, and tears, or I'm not, you know, and if I can't do that, there doesn't, uh, you know, nothing will suffice, so I shouldn't train. So I think, uh, at least for me, that was the hardest thing, because that was my life for, you know, shit, almost 20 years of my life, if not longer, uh, from the time I started lifting weights, where it was like, you know, this is my singular passion and my goal, and then all of a sudden you retire, you don't have that goal anymore, and having to, like, mentally reprogram a little yeah. bit and be like, you know what, um, if I get to the gym and it's three or four days a week and I can hit, like you said, like if I can hit a squat, I can hit a pull, and I can hit some form of press, and I can get in there and maybe do just a little bit of conditioning on that fourth day, like I can kind of, you know, maintain or not, you know, I'm never going to be able to really push the boundaries of where I want to go, but I can kind of maintain and mentally keep it together. I mean, I know. And here's the not. thing, yeah, everyone aspires to have that all or nothing, but the thing is, it's when people get crazy when they can't dedicate their whole time or their whole life. I and mean, we see it all the time in the forums. It's like they everybody aspires to that, and that's great, and that's noble. However, you can't become a crazy person and weird just because, you know, you missed, you know, you missed one of your, your days or, your, you know, you have an obligation outside of training, right? Um, and I think that that's kind of like what you're trying to say, Dave. It's like, listen, if you're not a competitor, if you're not working at a high level, you need to, you need to make – you know, you need to make these sort of omissions within your life and, and in order to maintain sanity. Yeah, and John brought up something which is, you know, along the same lines but yet completely different is, you know, he, he spoke about when he played and then after he played. You know, uh, that that's a tough one because what you're dealing with there is in, in football and in many sports you have somebody that basically – you know when you're done because nobody's going to sign you anymore. You're done. Mm -hmm. You know, so at that point, you know, he's sitting there like, oh, shit, this has been 25 years of my life. I've always trained. And it's like something died. You know, a part of your identity died. And if you go and you look at the seven stages of the death, he, he went through all seven of those. <laughs> uh, I'll, 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 I'll tell you just one personal thing I've never told anybody. You're uh, not done going the, through those stages. No, the day that... Uh, that like when they um it was over and I came home I actually uh like I got home I laid in bed I didn't get out of bed until like two or three o'clock the next day I kind of just like laid there in bed and I was like you know what I'm gonna sleep in because I, 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 I never slept in uh, I always got up early and trained and I was like the day I retire I'm gonna sleep in I might even get up in bed at like two or three in the afternoon you might and, even watch a lifetime movie yeah like I, I went downstairs I like sat down I ate something I watched TV I kind of just laid around all day which I'd never done in my life and I remember being like fuck that's the end yeah time to do something else Pur yeah. with lifters bodybuilders and so forth there's nobody there to tell them that 
Yeah. You know, so they 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 become washed up meatheads more or less. And so they're still hanging on to those old habits which they had when they were super super competitive, which they really need to let go of some of those. You yeah. know, because they're not going to be competitive anymore. When you let go of some of those, then you'll be able to embrace, you know, some of the other things because you really should be training to enhance your life. You know, it's once, you know, I used to always say and ah, fuck it, I still say it. You know, life is what happens between your trainings, or, or life is what happens in the gym. Everything else is fucking intermission. Um, you know, that's yeah. That's, that's that's how I lived. That's how I lived most of my life. You know, it's that's the only time that really matters is the time I've been in the gym. Everything else is just, you know, rest between sets, um, which is probably a fucked up view of the whole thing. But I've been that way since I was 13. But when you quit, when you quit competing, you need to realize that there's those other things that are out there. You know that you got to put some focus and try to try, try to find some type of balance. I don't think there is such a thing as balance, but try. If you like what you heard, there is more great Q and A with Dave Tate in part two of episode 99. If you hated it, send your complaints to HR at powerathletehq.com where all of our most urgent requests are processed and then swiftly ignored. Next week, we hear the rest of our conversation with Dave as he talks about having his hip replaced and his candid response to why it became absolutely necessary. I will say this, his reason surprised even me. And in true Wellbornian fashion, John takes a stab at one-upping Dave by telling the story of flying across country to have his hip aspirated only to find out that it entailed a glorified chisel and hammer. Dave lets us know how and why, quote, opportunities are all around us. If only we could just seize the moment. Well, Power Athlete Nation, we are approaching our 100th episode, and in a few short weeks, we will also approach the end of 22 Jack Street. It's been a fun ride, and we'd sure like to get feedback in how we can improve your listening experience. Please head to our blog and post your comments under this episode's post. Until next time, bye!